Welcome to the Internal Medicine for Vet Techs podcast. If you haven't joined us before, we're passionate about all things internal medicine and helping you become the best tech you can be. We'll be discussing interesting internal medicine diseases, how to work closely with pet parents, and how to become the go-to tech in your practice. Now, let's start the show. Welcome back, everybody, and thank you for listening and make a commitment to your learning. We hope you're doing well. I'm one of your hosts, Yvonne Brandenburg, joined by Jordan Porter. Hey, Jordan. Yo. Hey. Sorry, Hi. I'm gonna I'm gonna skip over you really That's quickly. Fine. <laughs> you and I are not the important people this week. Um, we're super excited because Liz Houston is joining us this week. Yay! Hi, Liz. Yay. Yeah, I'm so excited to be here. Thanks so much for having me. <laughs> no problem. I'm excited We're so glad you got to say yes. <laughs> so we are going to be talking about cannabis with Liz this week. And Liz is super smart. If you have not listened to her speak or seen her on all the social medias, um, we'll, we'll tell you who she is. So she, uh, Liz is a RBT and CBT, LVT, LVMT. <laughs> That's right. She's got all the initials. She has her VTS in both small animal internal medicine and emergency and critical care. So she's super smart and she has a master's in education. So crazy wicked smart. Um, she does some relief teching still. She's a trainer. She's a consultant here in the San Francisco Bay area. So she's really close to me. So I get to see her occasionally in person. Um, she is a co-editor of the cannabis therapy and veterinary medicine book. So if you, um, haven't seen it. It's when did it, it published this year, right? Or was it last year? I think it, the publication date is last year. There is a link in the show notes. Oh, if perfect. you want to, uh, find <laughs> the book and purchase it for yourself or your clinic. Yes. Um, and I've definitely seen it. It's, it's pretty awesome. So, um, I, I'm, I've actually talked about getting it because We'll talk about that in a minute, but whatever. Um, she also is um, editing the second edition. <gasps> Did you guys know there was a second edition? Because I don't think we've mentioned it. So the second edition of the Small Animal Internal Medicine for Veterinary Technicians and Nurses book. It's it's on its way. Um, the Bible. And <laughs> the Bible. And Liz is um, writing and editing in there. She's also the president of the National Veterinary Professionals Union, co-founder of the Veterinary Cannabinoid Academy, administrator of Not One More Vet Support Staff Group, which I think that's one of the reasons we've talked to you before, yep. so, you, so she may sound familiar, <laughs> <laughs> and um, she's part of AMVT, so Academy of Internal Medicine for Vet Techs, and she's the credentialing committee chair, as well as a bunch of other stuff we rope her into, um, and editorial advisory board for DVM 360. Girl, that's like that's like one of your newer gigs, isn't it? It's a relatively newish. Gig. I was like, I yeah. don't remember that and one. The, and the thing I remember seeing that one on it, Facebook. Yes, and what hasn't made it onto this bio yet either is um, I'm also on the advisory board for the new Masters of Veterinary Clinical Care at LMU. Ooh. That's cool. Exciting. Yeah. I have a lot going on. Um, and we're (laughs) almost exactly, we're getting, I don't know when this episode drops, but we're about at this day we're recording. We're uh, 16 days from the due date for the, um, internal medicine. (gasps) Oh my God. That's right. So it's It's the end of this month. Our applicants are coming into crunch time. It's very exciting time for. Yeah. I don't know if we have to figure out if it will drop before the end of September. Okay. So it may be that applications have right already turned after. in by the time you're listening to this. <laughs> and if you're listening to this later, applications are in and everybody is now waiting for decisions. I was going <laughs> to say, for all the reviews to happen. That's right. <laughs> yeah. So thank you for joining us. I'm so excited. Um, we're going to probably turn this mostly over to you in just a second because because <laughs> this is not our forte. <laughs> So, um, just a quick, um, housekeeping stuff. Um, thank you everybody for joining us for our monthly CE. Um, we, let's see, October, I think we're going to be talking about Addison. No, we just talked about Addison's sorry. Um, and then October should be continuous glucose monitors, um, 
and I can't remember what we're doing for November, but we'll figure it out. And maybe we can rope Liz into doing one of these, one of these days. Um, but if you're a part of the membership, it's free for you guys. So it's an hour of race approved CE. If you're not part of the membership, you can still join. Um, there's just a little bit of a fee for that. Um, but today, today we're talking about cannabis and I think I'm just going to hand it over to Liz because <laughs> that's, that's what I'll do. <laughs> well, I, you know, I will say, um, you guys are not alone in not really knowing a lot about using cannabis in veterinary medicine, not knowing, um, a lot about cannabis period. Um, mm -hmm. there are a lot of reasons for that. Um, one of which is just the way the legal status has been you yeah. know, over the past several years. Do you want to do some housekeeping before we actually dive into everything? Sure. Do you have shout outs? I uh, don't know if we have shout outs, actually. I was looking at that. And I don't think we do. Okay. Okay. Bummer. Yeah. I, I, you know, I'm, I'm here to keep you guys on track. <laughs> <laughs> nah, it's all good. We did the shout out for the membership and that's kind of yes, all we've been excellent, doing lately. Which is great. You guys, you don't, if you're not taking advantage of this and the CE that they offer, I mean, you got to do it. It's fantastic. So <laughs> I'm telling you, we're going to rope you into doing okay. one of these. All right. Maybe. Maybe I have some, I have some IM topics I like to talk about. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about cannabis in veterinary medicine um, and how we can use it for symptom alleviation. Um, mm -hmm. I often say that uh, cannabis doesn't cure anything that we know of yet, right. but I think it can help with a lot of the things that we deal with in veterinary medicine generally and in internal medicine specifically, and more and more research is coming out, um, especially on the human side, to be fair, uh, mm -hmm. talking about how we can apply the molecules that we find in this really remarkable plant, how we can apply them to help uh, ameliorate disease in all species that have an endocannabinoid system. And so let's talk about like, what is that? What is an endocannabinoid system? What is cannabis? Why do you say cannabis instead of marijuana? Let's, right. let's get into it. All so, of that. <laughs> let's get into all of it. So I like to start with terminology because I like to make sure we're all, everybody's on the same page when we're talking about this, because it's very confusing. Yeah. And even people who are involved in this work can get confused and can use terms in a, a little bit of a loosey goosey kind of way, I mm. think. And me being as pedantic as I am, I'm very <laughs> um, interested in correct terminology. So uh, cannabis is a plant. It is um, a, uh, it is the genus of a plant that there are a couple of species, but really all of the plants within the cannabis genus um, are the same, essentially. The way we differentiate the plants is based on the level of cannabinoids in that plant. And you can say, I've heard this word pronounced cannabinoid, cannabinoid. I might switch back and forth in the, while we're yeah, talking. I think it's a potato, potato it's thing. It's a potato, <laughs> potato thing. Totally. So however you pronounce it, it's like cefazolin, cefazolin, whatever. Canna cannabinoid, cannabinoid, either way is fine. What the, what a cannabinoid is, is a molecule that interacts with the endocannabinoid system. That sounds like a really circular definition. Um, and we'll get into what the endocannabinoid system is in a second. Um, and by the way, might... when I learned about the endocannabinoid system, it like blew my mind. I was like, wait, what? I was like, yeah. this is a thing. Yes. And then I was like, well, this makes so much sense to me. And now. <laughs> it's a seriously crazy system. Um, and, and we're going to, we're going to talk about that it, I mean, right after we talk about can cannabinoids. So yeah. <laughs> these are molecules that interact with this system in um, every animal, every creature on the planet that has an endocannabinoid system. And the fact is that if you have a spinal column, if you have vertebrae, you have an endocannabinoid system. Mm. So every animal on the planet with a spinal column has an endocannabinoid system. Even animals without spinal columns, for example, uh, sea cucumbers have an endocannabinoid system, hmm. uh, but insects do not. 
So uh -huh. as we learn more and more about the system and we're, we spend more time researching this, this stuff, we're finding it in more species. Um, and basically it's, it's ubiquitous throughout the planet, uh, the system in uh, internally in every animal on the planet. So I'm kind of glad that bugs don't have it. Cause I <laughs> literally just pictured a bug landing on like a pot plant and getting high. Like a little high like, fly <laughs> or mosquito. Right? Can you imagine? Like, oh. Could you imagine them just flying slower? <laughs> like just like or not being able to fly, just kind of like falling over. Yeah. yeah. So it's probably a good thing insects don't. Yeah. <laughs> like, I think so. Right. But Here you know, it's interesting because they have to have other regulatory systems. Because right? as we're going to talk about, the endocannabinoid system is responsible for homeostasis throughout mm. every body that has uh, this system. That's what it's doing is it's maintaining the body in homeostasis. And you guys talk about this a lot on this podcast. Yeah. That is what internal medicine is all about is restoring homeostasis, homeostasis, getting everybody back to balance. And that is why the health and maintenance of the endocannabinoid system is really intrinsic to the work that we do, even if we don't know that it is. Right. <laughs> so we have a couple of different classifications of cannabinoids based on where they come from. So we have endocannabinoids. Those are molecules that we make in our own body to interact with this system for various purposes. We have phytocannabinoids, phyto, if you remember back to your terminology class in tech school, uh, phyto means plant. So these are cannabinoids. These are molecules that come from, that interact with the endocannabinoid system that come from plants. And there are many plants on earth that make molecules that interact with the endocannabinoid system. Um, but cannabis makes the most. Uh, and then there are synthetic cannabinoids. So these are uh, molecules made in the lab, made to mimic the effects or, um, or to, you know, uh, take advantage of the fact the effects of what we know of from endocannabinoids and phytocannabinoids, but we can make them in a lab. And initially that that started as a way to kind of get around the legal issues involved with, um, with cannabinoids, because as many of you may be aware, there are many legal issues <laughs> surrounding cannabis, which we'll talk about yeah. a little bit later. Um, so let's start with endocannabinoids. We make these molecules in our own body. These are um, produced in response to inflammation, stress, um, in fact, endorphins. So we think of endorphins as uh, those, those molecules that are released that lead to the runner's high. And endorphins actually interact with the endocannabinoid system mm. to bring, which makes sense. They call yeah. it a high. They literally call it a high. So interacting with the endocannabinoid system, yes, of course, that's a no-brainer. Once you learn about it, you're like, oh yeah, sure, that makes sense. Mm. Um, so we have five identified. There are probably a ton of other ones that we don't know yet or haven't identified yet, but um, I'm not even going to tell you the names because um, like the two main ones are 2-AG, which has a really long chemical name. That I, I was like, ooh. <laughs> and then anandamide. And anandamide was the first endocannabinoid discovered. Um, it was discovered by a cannabis researcher in Israel. Um, and he, he's kind of like the grandfather of cannabis medicine. And uh, he named it anandamide because uh, ananda is Sanskrit for bliss. So this is the bliss <laughs> molecule, which, nice. you know, you got to get a little woo-woo when you get into talking about cannabis stuff. So <laughs> this is what happens when it's all illegal and people are like, well, exactly then I'll right. do what I want to do. That's exactly right. <laughs> so there are plants, like I said, to lead us into the phytocannabinoid discussion, there are lots of plants in the, on earth that um, make molecules that interact with the endocannabinoid system in one way or the other. And nutmeg is an example of this. And what nutmeg does is it has a it, it has an effect of um, inhibiting the enzyme that breaks down um, that, that starts the arachidonic acid pathway, which is the primary inflammatory mm. pathway in the body. So what nutmeg does is it inhibits these molecules that break down, um, that break down substances that lead to inflammation. Mm. So if we, um, if you take enough nutmeg, 
<laughs> you can inhibit the those molecules to such an extent that you might even get a little high. Uh, but what you're doing is really triggering this um, this enzyme inhibition that keeps the inflammation from even starting. Uh, wow. which is no, that's interesting. I mean, I suppose it's not recommended to just take a bunch of nutmeg. No, like... this, is thing, this is a thing when I was in high school, they used to talk about, oh yeah, if you eat enough nutmeg, you could totally get high and it's totally oh, really? legal, but it's a, it's a ton of nutmeg. Like, yeah, I was no, just saying. It's, not, it's not healthy. Don't do it. It, it would <laughs> just be nice if it was like, if it was just a minor amount, cause like we're yeah. always like relaxed and happy on Thanksgiving. Right. Cause it's right. fan, but like you add in the nutmeg and stuff like yeah. that from pumpkin pie. That'd be, mm. Hey, why do you think I love pumpkin spice so much? <laughs> oh, that's right. Nutmeg. <laughs> well, and, right. um, chocolate also has cannabinoids, right? can i think there are some molecules in chocolate that interact with the cannabinoid system but primarily as it is no, i mean it's not something i would think of as like yeah. a way to get high i mean they oh, no. make <laughs> cannabis they make cannabis chocolate because yeah, cannabis and chocolate goes really well together that's true. That's true. um and uh, we'll talk about why that is too yeah. um so mm -hmm. phytocannabinoids as the name implies found in plants um cannabis sativa is the primary plant that most people think of. Uh, there's also cannabis ruderalis and cannabis, um, I forget what the Indica. third. Uh, Indica. No, Indica. it's not actually uh. called that. They, they've they rolled that one into cannabis sativa. So it's not actually two separate species like they right. thought it was once. Um, so really, this, but... and the, the interesting thing about this is that cannabis, um, it, it's the same plant no matter where you where you find it no matter what shape it presents in it is the same essentially the same plant and we differentiate it um because it helps the legal system determine what cannabis plant is legal and what cannabis plant is illegal and they do that based on the level of phytocannabinoids found in the plant so cannabis sativa again makes over a hundred molecules that interact with the endocannabinoid system that are unique to cannabis that are not found in any other um, plant on the mm. planet. Wow. Uh, most notable among these are THC and CBD. Those are the two kind of most famous cannabinoids. These are the ones that get the most press. THC, because one form of it, the decarboxylated form, we're not going to get into chemistry here. Don't worry too much about that. But it's known as delta-9 THC, and mm -hmm. that's the molecule that gets people and animals high. So that is the one that the government is interested in regulating. And then we have CBD, which is the non-inebriating um, primary cannabinoid found in most cannabis plants. And again, there are a ton more of these molecules that are produced by cannabis plants. And we're starting to learn more and more about the um, medical, potential medical applications of those mm -hmm. cannabinoids as well. I just find it interesting because you, you mentioned like Delta nine is like what we commonly think of when we're thinking of marijuana, right? Like, but there is Delta eight, which is legal in places like my state where cannabis isn't legal. Right. Um, Delta eight is, is legal because it's a Basically, it's kind of a synthetic cannabinoid. They're, they are making Delta-8 THC from these precursor, these mother cannabinoid molecules in the plant. Yeah. So they're taking like the primary molecule and they're forcing it down a separate pathway to make it Delta-H yeah. or Delta-8, excuse me. And then they're, they're, that's how they're getting around it legally. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. But it's still causing like similar symptoms as typical For marijuana sure. like delta nine including in dogs and well i don't see it happen in cats very much but like in dogs <laughs> like cats are, they're cats not cats are not as interested in ingesting cannabis products just seems. like given my new line of work like when people come oh, through yeah. chats it's people going like oh my dog ate my delta eight gummies and like yeah. of course people are still like embarrassed by it but i'm like it's, it's still legal and like i don't know what state you're in anyway like but like right. it doesn't matter um but dogs show almost the exact same symptoms on they it. do yeah and, and that's and so because it, it is i mean it's the same molecule right delta eight delta nine these are isomers again not going to get super into the chemistry but they're isomers of the same molecule so they're going to bind to the same receptor sites in the endocannabinoid yeah. system the thing about delta eight 
is it takes a lot more of it. It is not as potent as yeah. Delta nine. Yeah, yeah. So they need to get a lot more yeah. to have um, to have the same effects. Same it with was, people. Yeah, it was just mm. an interesting conversation with my yeah. team because they're like, "Well, Delta eight isn't THC." I was like, "It is still THC." It's still THC. Like it. Yeah. I was it's like, like so saying we can... beer versus tequila. Yeah, in a like way, alcohol is yeah. alcohol. Like alcohol, it, ethyl, ethyl alcohol is the same no matter yeah. what. What it's what, what concentration you're in. Yeah, that's exactly so right. It's the concentration. To, trying to educate my team around a delta eight toxicity is. They, I, I had to convince them that I was like, you're still treating it like a marijuana toxicity. Right. Like the main like, thing. Yeah, the main thing I worry about with delta eight and toxicities, and we'll talk about toxicity uh, because it is a major thing we deal with outside of therapeutic use. Well, and sometimes within therapeutic use, if something, Mm -hmm. if an accident happens. Um, But the thing I worry about with Delta-8 is some of the safety issues. So Mm -hmm. what kind, how was that product made? What kind of Mm -hmm. solvents are present in it? What kind of chemicals did they use to get to Delta-8? And are those going to be dangerous? So there can be some other um, some other mm. issues outside yeah. of the cannabis intoxication or inebriation. Yeah. Well, especially um, with the world of like edibles too, right? So yeah. it's like educating my team around like looking for xylitol in these gummies and things like oh, that. Yeah. And so it's it's not just the THC that we're worried about. We got to think about like the other things and that is exactly and, right. So. And we're going to talk about that for sure. Good. <laughs> uh, so when we talk about cannabis, the plant, um, and we talk about the molecules in the cannabis plant, THC and CBD. And I think of those as sister molecules, and I'm going to explain why that is. Um, hemp is defined as a cannabis plant that makes less than 0.3% THC on a dry matter basis. So now I'm going to hearken you back to your nutrition training. You mm-hmm. remember what the dry matter basis is, right? You take the weight of something minus its uh, moisture content, and that gives you the dry matter. And so then what they do is they send the plant to a lab and they find out how much THC is in that dry matter. And then they, they'll know that the plant they have and any extracts from that plant are either hemp, if it's less than 0.3% THC or marijuana, which is greater than 0.3% THC. And what traditionally the hemp plants, these low THC cannabis plants were used, they were grown more uh, leggy, they were taller because we use the plants for fiber and rope and to make paper. So we wanted more of the stock than we did the leaves and the flowers because the leaves and the flowers are where the, the flowers really are where the cannabis, the cannabinoids live. So that's where THC and CBD and all the other cannabinoids live in the flowers of the cannabis plant, which are the parts of the flowers are called trichomes. And these are those, they're very sticky. Uh, They have a lot of different molecules. That is where these molecules are expressed at their highest content um, is in the flower or what the bud of the plant is what a lot of that's, if you If you are in the cannabis world, you recognize that bud is the flower of the plant. This is the part that has the chemicals that we are after. Um, Veterinary CBD products come from hemp or should come from hemp. Uh, They, that, because it is very, very safe. And we'll talk about that. Um, The reason it's safe is because of its low THC content. Um, And when we talk about intoxication, that's the molecule we worry about when we talk about intoxication. So marijuana is legally illegal. (laughs) It is a still a schedule one controlled substance. Uh, So that means it's on par with cocaine, heroin, um, all of the schedule one drugs that drugs of abuse. Uh, It is federally in the United States, which is silly and ridiculous. That is correct. (laughs) And in fact, because the U.S. is so influential and holds so much sway everywhere, it's for all intents and purposes, um, illegal. I mean, it's illegal almost everywhere. This is changing. Um, but for now, uh, marijuana at the federal level is still illegal. Many, many, many States in the U S have changed the laws to make, uh, marijuana legal. So plants with greater than 0.3% THC on dry matter basis, 
can be legal, particularly in my state, California. Um, so where Yvonne and I live, it's legal. Uh, many states in the US. Mm-hmm. By contrast, hemp, um, less than 0.3% THC on a dry matter basis is legal at the federal level. So every hemp is legal in every US state unless the state has particular controlled substance laws that ban it. And there are three states in the US that actually do have those laws on the book. So for hemp specifically. For hemp specifically. So oh, any wow. cannabis, any cannabis or extract from the cannabis plant are illegal in those states, even though hemp wow. is legal at the federal level. So that's all part of okay. the crazy fun world of the United States where states get to pick what they, <laughs> Whatever they want to do. <laughs> so THC, marijuana can be used both recreationally. This is the most common use, I would say, is most yeah. people use cannabis to get high uh, and they use marijuana to get high. Uh, no one is using hemp to get high. There is not enough <laughs> THC true. in hemp to make anybody but the absolute most sensitive uh, endocannabinoid system intoxicated or inebriated is the term I, I prefer. Yeah. So THC is the inebriating compound. So people use it uh, to get high. Um, the problem is, of course, and we'll talk about this when we talk about toxicity, animals who get into it also get high. And animals don't like being high. Uh, and again, we'll talk about that when we get to the toxicity section. So lots of plants on the planet make molecules, they make phytocannabinoids, molecules that interact with the cannabinoid system, turmeric, saffron, nutmeg, black pepper. Black pepper makes um, a really interesting molecule called beta-caryophyllin. Some of you, uh uh-huh. Yeah, some Ah, of you are like, oh, I know that. That's like a vitamin. That's green leafy vegetables. That's That's a cannabinoid. As well as a, um, as well as a terpene, it's a super interesting molecule. Uh, mm-hmm. We haven't even, I haven't even mentioned terpenes yet. So now everybody's like, "Oh, what's terpene?" But oh, it's interesting, guys. <laughs> is a super interesting molecule because it interacts with the endocannabinoid system um, in the same way that cannabinoids do, and it also has pr- uh, properties of another molecule found in every plant on the planet, um, which are terpenes. So that's another class of molecule that all plants make. Um, so beta caryophyllin in black pepper, very, very interesting molecule. You can learn more about it. I mean, there's a ton of research out there on beta caryophyllin. Um, and now that we're learning, it interacts with the endocannabinoid system. It's really, um, it's really changed the game in terms of that molecule and, and our interest in it. Um, so finally, let's we can touch on synthetic cannabinoids. These are made in labs. They interact with the endocannabinoid system just like endo and phytocannabinoids. They're designed to do that. Um, the most famous was Marinol. That was made back in the 70s. And what they made Marinol for was to treat uh, chemo, therapy-induced nausea. So people who were going through cancer treatment and were having nausea and they couldn't eat, lots of them were reporting to their doctors that they were using marijuana, right? Mm -hmm. They'd say, well, I'm smoking a joint and that helps me. I don't feel sick and it makes me want to eat. And so that's helping me manage the symptoms from my chemo. Uh, and so they were like, doctors were like, oh, we really, we can't recommend that it's illegal. So we really need a legal thing. So of course, big pharma was like, no problem. We got you, boo. Let's make you some molecules in the lab, which they did. So they isolated, um, at this point in time, we knew that THC was the molecule responsible for that, that again, the same researcher in Israel had discovered that. Um, And so they made Marinol, which is synthetic Mm. THC. Um, The people that used Marinol, interestingly, reported that it did help with their nausea. It did help with appetite stimulation, but they had more side effects using Marinol um, and side effects like headache and other side effects. uh, And it wasn't Mm. as effective as whole plant marijuana. So smoking the, the pot or making it into butter, however people were getting, getting it into their bodies, they found that that was more effective. And why is that? Well, 
I mean, my vote is just going to be like natural versus synthetic. (laughs) Yeah. Right. I I mean, (laughs) that is, and that's a bias, right? I think we all, I think here in America, I think a lot of us have that bias that, oh, natural is better. And I hear this from a ton of clients. They're like, I don't want to put my, my dog on drugs. I want something natural. Okay. If it has an effect, right? If it's a natural thing and it's going to do anything for you, it still has side effects, potential mm-hmm. side effects, right? Mm-hmm. Just mm-hmm. because something's natural doesn't mean it's better. Yeah, yeah. I mean, just, the, right. I think it's a it's a normal bias we all yeah, have because my, we want to be healthy. I think I've talked about this before, but my grandma had cancer and she was in Nevada and she like we talked one day on the phone and she was complaining about her pain and about how she was on all these meds and they were just wrecking her gut and making her dizzy and giving her headaches and all this stuff. And I was like, why don't you talk to, I was like, you live in Nevada. Why don't you talk to your doctor about starting like marijuana or whatever? And, um, she was like, I don't know. Like she had lung cancer and she's like, I don't want to smoke anything. I was like, grandma, I was like, times have changed. I was like, like, you don't have to smoke anything anymore. (laughs) I was like, and so no joke, two weeks later, she calls me back and she's like, I started marijuana and it's the most amazing thing. I feel so good. And I've stopped some of my pain meds and blah, blah, blah. Oh, wow. Like she was still doing chemo and stuff like that. But like, yeah, man, she was like, she was so happy about how good she felt. Yeah. And like, because it was so easy for her to get to being in Nevada, it was nice. And like all the options and different ways to do it that mm-hmm. like, the natural route, like, yes, I fully believe that medications have their place, but some natural medications really do just outweigh the benefits. Like, 100%. Outweigh- and I'm sure when she added cannabis, she was probably able to reduce her doses on some yeah. of the other medications. Yeah. I mean, she that is some true. This is true. That's multimodal, yeah. multimodal treatment, right? We should be hitting as many of these things as we can and knowing that the endocannabinoid system is responsible for homeostasis. It, it, it manages calcium levels in the body. Calcium mm-hmm. is such wow. an important electrolyte um, and mineral for mineral. I guess it's a mineral. It is such an important component of every function in our body of nervous function, muscle function um, in the inflammatory cascade, how strong or weak our bones are. All of these things. I mean, and we think of cancer, right? What's one of the primary signs of malignancy is these high levels of calcium. Calcium balances out of whack. So if we can help bring that into homeostasis, everything's going to work better, right? Your muscles are going to work better. Your nerves are going to work better. Everything's going to come back into balance. And um, that's just one thing that the endocannabinoid system does in that, in terms of that pain and inflammation is a whole other area we'll talk about in, yeah, right. in a little bit. So, uh, so the reason that we believe the current theory about why whole plant uh, cannabis is more effective than any one molecule pulled mm. out um, to try and treat certain symptoms or diseases, the reason we believe that all everything together is more effective per anecdotal reports and data is due to something called the entourage effect. This is the current theory um, that there are many, many molecules present alongside cannabinoids, particularly in the cannabis plant. And some of those molecules have their own independent medicinal effects and that they are synergistic with cannabinoids to create an effect that is greater than the sum of the parts. And we call that the entourage effect. And the primary molecules we think of uh, when we talk about the entourage effect are terpenes and to a lesser extent, flavonoids. So terpenes are molecules that every plant on the planet makes. If a plant has a smell or a taste, um, it's making terpenes. <laughs> That's what is, these are volatile molecules that are responsible for the smell and taste of every plant on the planet. Um, so that is, these are, these are ubiquitous molecules and many of them have potent medicinal effects. An example that most people are probably familiar with would be lavender, right? If you think about the laundry sprays, for example, or the, um, the diffusers that are sold to help you sleep and relax, right? Lavender 
major. It's in all the spas, right? Everybody has lavender because it's an anti-anxiety molecule. It's an anxiety that encourages sleep, some sedation. That the, the main, the primary terpene that gives you that lavender smell is called linalool. And it is found in huge amounts in the lavender plant. But guess what? It's also found in cannabis. Certain strains of cannabis uh, express a lot of linalool. Um, we talked about beta-caryophyllin, this super cool molecule that's both a cannabinoid and a terpene. Um, it's anti-inflammatory. It's analgesic. It protects the cells lining your G GI tract. So it, that, which is crazy. You think it's a volatile molecule. How does that work? Um, but we have receptors for terpenes in our GI tract because the way our system has evolved, the way our bodies have evolved over time is alongside plants, right? Our whole history is mm -hmm. alongside plants. And we ingest plants, we ingest animals that ingest plants, and we're taking in all of the molecules that are in those plants, we're taking into our bodies as well. So of course, it stands to reason that there would be receptors in our GI tract mm. to take advantage of those molecules. Yeah. Um, Beta-caryophyllin is in all kinds of uh, all kinds of plants. Cannabis, it's expressed in very high levels. Black pepper, very high levels. Myrcene is another one that is in, expressed in very high levels in almost every um, variety of cannabis. And that is another sleep aid, uh, anti-anxiety, uh, sedative terpene. Uh, interestingly, you will find that one in high levels in hops as well, which, so you like to drink beer. There That's <laughs> probably the alcohol plus mercy. Um, and these molecules are so interesting. They have um, receptor dependent and receptor independent actions. So they're working at receptor sites, but they're also working outside of the traditional receptor sites or receptor sites that we are aware mm. of, which is super, super interesting. Um, That's really cool. And yeah, and I have a I have a soft spot for terpenes because that is the chapter in the book that I wrote. <laughs> uh, and I love I love terpenes. They're amazing. Um, so and then we have flavonoids also and flavonoids. It sounds like that's what would make the flavor of, of plants. Mm -hmm. But what flavonoids do is determine the color of a plant. So, ah. so when you look at, um, a rose, you know, or a maple tree, for example, um, when the leaves change, that's a change in the flavonoid component in the plant based on oh, moisture levels and cold and all of that stuff, because the flavonoids are responsible for color and they have some really interesting medic medical effects as well. So terpenes, flavonoid, and again, a section in my, in the terpene chapter, uh, about that written by, um, by a friend, uh, amazing, smart friend as well. So, uh, <laughs> read that chapter. If you want to learn more about terpenes and, and flavonoids, it's a really, really interesting, uh, they're really interesting molecules. And we believe that these molecules working together with the cannabinoids is what leads to these really, um, potent effects of the whole plant product as opposed to any isolate product. So you can go to the pet store, you can go to the grocery store these days in California yeah. and find, you know, a CBD water, for example. What they've done is they've extracted CBD from some cannabis plant. And so they just have the molecule. It's usually like a white powder. And then they take that molecule, that powder, and they mix it in with, name it, a gun. I was going to say, uh, I've water. seen so, so many different things. Yeah, pretty much anything you can ingest, uh, right. it gets a mixed dog into. Tree, like anything, right? But the isolate, what we're finding, the more research we do, the more prevalent these things are out there, is we're finding that those just aren't as effective as taking something that comes from the whole plant where all the molecules are working mm. together in, in concert or in symphony or as an entourage. So that's why we call it the entourage effect. And there's a, a study um, by uh, Ethan Russo. I guess it's not really technically a study, it's a review. Ethan Russo is one of the premier um, cannabis researchers in the world, and he wrote a really interesting paper that kind of um, put this theory forward 
uh, and it's called Taming THC. Uh, I should, I will put a link to this in the show notes too, because it's a really yeah. interesting article. If you want to learn more about the entourage effect and, and why we think it works the way it does. So there are Woo! a ton of cannabinoids and cannabinoids have a ton of different effects. And um, you guys are Yvonne is wooing picture. because I put up a picture of what I call like the wheel of cannabinoids. And, it um, looks like a sun just radiating out. Yeah. Yeah. And what I love about this particular diagram is this is from Trends in Pharmacological Sciences. It's open access. You can find this oh, nice. graphic wherever um, if you just search for that. Uh, and what it shows is the receptor pathways where it's working or the receptor mm. independent pathways. For example, CBD has um, one of these, one of its effects is it can be an intestinal anti-prokinetic. So it can slow down the GI tract. Oh. Uh, and it does that by um, through calcium modulation, as well as uh, that same enzyme that nutmeg works on that I was talking about. Uh, so it reduces levels of that enzyme. And so that helps to slow down um, action in the GI tract. Super interesting. Um, some of these of these receptors, if you look at them, um, 5-HT, that's the serotonin receptor. So it's doing stuff with our brain chemicals. Um, and this is CBD, non-inebriating. It's not going to make you high. And yet it's going to impact the happy chemicals in your brain through interactions mm. with the endocannabinoid system. Uh, TRIP-V, this is, this is a receptor that is highly implicated in pain and inflammation. And it interacts with that. Look at the effect on that. It's also potentially an antipsychotic. Interesting. Mm. Um, so not only are these molecules interacting with the endocannabinoid system, which has its own set of receptors and actions at those receptors, but these molecules are interacting with other receptor systems as well. And so they are, they are either adding to the effect of other receptors or tamping down the effect of some of those receptors. It's fascinating and complicated. And um, <laughs> I love it. I, love it. I can't, it's I can't wait for like, I can't wait for like 50 to a hundred years from now oh my God. when they look back Seriously. at us and kind of laugh. Cause they're like, why didn't you understand this? Yeah. I was going to say, yeah. there's Ugh. nothing about like this picture can be overwhelming. Like when you first look at it, but when you start reading it, I'm like, this does not deter me from wanting to smoke weed at all. Right. <laughs> right. Exactly. No, it should make you want to smoke this weed. But really, I mean, when you look <sighs> at this, at this particular picture that I have up, um, CBD is the molecule that's really pulling the most weight here. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Cause therapeutics. Like, when you look at it, like it's an immunosuppressant, like I have an immune disease, right? Like, and it causes severe inflammation in my joints. So you have like immune suppression, anti-inflammatory bone stimulant, like analgesic, yeah. like this is amazing. And like, oh, yeah. I, I wish I was a better like patient because like, I'm just not consistent about things. So like I've, I have CBD, like I have it because I was like, this is going to be great. Like I researched it a bunch and like, and like, yeah. we all know that I have some, I've talked about my mental health and stuff like that. So like the antipsychotic part, like, this is great. Like this is, <laughs> but consistency is really important because really? Yeah. the system and, and this, it's a perfect lead into the endocannabinoid system because the system is responsive to levels of cannabinoids present um, in the body. So mm -hmm. if you are providing exogenous cannabinoids to the system, it's going to be able to function more optimally. Um, mm. It is designed to express more or, or fewer receptors depending on the levels of inflammation but also the levels of endocannabinoids and exogenous cannabinoids present to interact with the system. So it's very dynamic, mm -hmm. which makes sense when you think of it as a homeostatic modulator. Mm -hmm. um, it makes yeah. sense that it's totally um, dynamic because it has to adjust to conditions that it's facing on a minute-to-minute -minute yeah. basis. Yeah, right? yeah. So consistency is really important to help bring everything into balance uh, because you Homestasis. don't want to give it a bunch of ex exogenous cannabinoids all at once. And then it's like, yay, we can function well. And then like the next day it has none. And then it's like, yeah. what the, I don't know what we 
we're doing let's go. which is like type a jordan <laughs> that is like exactly what i do where i'm just like this feels great but for some reason it doesn't feel great enough for me to stick like consistently yeah with. but habits i mean habits are hard that's habits. just you know habits are hard habits are hard like i've talked about this before where i mean like realistically it takes what 21 days to form a habit right like Ooh, so there's new there's new research out there that actually says it takes way longer than that yeah I'm like, I find, like at least 90, possibly 120 gosh. days. And I was like, no wonder, <laughs> which does make sense because like, I, I yeah. will go, you know, a solid two months with being consistent about taking my meds and, and doing things that I know are good yep. for me and good for my joints and good for my health. And then like, I have one bad day and then it's all off the rails. And yeah. Like, yeah. So I read yeah, about I mean, something that has really helped me in terms mm -hmm. of habits. This is a little off topic, but, um, habit stacking. So if there's yeah, something you do yes. every day, try like, like, for example, my husband makes me coffee every morning. I'm so lucky. Mm. Uh, so he makes, I mean, he makes it for both of us, but so we, I, uh, we took a pottery class. I made a handmade mug. It can't go in the dishwasher. So I have to wash my mug every morning. So I have now stacked habits on that where, okay, when I wash the mug, I also brush the dog's teeth. And so now those are two things that go together every morning. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, I just, sometimes is, the dog's teeth slips a little bit, but, but that, that's a really but, good idea. Because and then like, I just have added a new thing to it now because of my gallbladder, I have a gallstone. And so I've had to add my fiber intake. I've had to up my fiber intake. So I've added, okay, I'm going to rinse my mug and then I'm going to make my little Metamucil you know, <laughs> drink and drink that at the same time. And now, and that's, I mean, I have found for myself, that's really the only way to keep me consistent. But that makes sense, yeah. right? Because we have habits that we do throughout the day. Like I get up and make that coffee, you have right? to do. That yeah. And like, I get the kids to school, then I do the donkey goat stuff and feed, let the chickens out. So it's like, if I just stack habits, right. I'm doing these yeah. things that I have, like I have to do every day. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, it's just, yeah. It's like, I mean, it's amazing how consistent we can be with medicating our pets, but oh, medicating ourselves falls right out the window. Oh, right? You know, it's <laughs> ironic. You say that is like my, my 19 year old cat, like he kept me consistent because I'd yeah. give him his meds and then I'd get my meds. My meds exactly. And like, since, since he's been gone, which is really sad to say, yeah. ugh, I've probably hit my meds on time. I'm going to say 20% and that may right. be generous. And I'm like, I got to find a new habit stack. You got to find because, a new habit stack. That's right. This isn't working. <laughs> but that's, right, so that's the thing though too, right? Like I, my, <laughs> I told my brother to start CBD on one of his really old dogs that has a hard time getting around. And like, he had a hard time getting in the habit. I was like, well, just make it part of your habit. When you feed him breakfast in the morning Add it to his his CBD yeah. with his food or whatever. I was like, so that way it's just like, that's just mm -hmm. your routine. The, and, and the beautiful thing about the molecules is they're fat soluble. They yeah, love fat. They do better so with food. That's exactly right. So if, if you have a good eater, just put the oil or whatever it is, you're going to, whatever form you're going to choose, um, put it in the food. It's perfect. Yeah. I mean, and that's why Hobbs really is well. still around realistically. He's still eating. Yeah. And so, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so let's talk about this endocannabinoid system. It is probably the largest receptor system in mammals. We used to think the opioid receptor system was the biggest, but then um, as we've learned more about the ECS, the endocannabinoid system, we now know that it is, there are the most number of receptors and they are the most widespread than mm. any other receptor system in the body, which is crazy. Uh, and wow. as I said, present in everything with a spinal column and some animals without spinal columns. Um, but if you have a vertebrae, you have an endocannabinoid system. And lots of folks refer to it as the relax, eat, sleep, forget, and protect system. So those are the things it helps you do. It makes sure that you uh, can stay relaxed and calm um, because the body doesn't like stress. The body doesn't like excess cortisol. Sometimes you need it, right? Fight or flight is adaptive, but not for most of us in our modern society, not living on the savanna, being chased by lions. Mm -hmm. So we don't need all that cortisol. So great for that. Um, helps you eat. So it helps modulate your appetite. Um, you know, depending on the variety, maybe it <laughs> increases your appetite a little too much. Uh, it can help you sleep. 
forgetting, this is something really interesting that we're now um, leveraging the ECS for in treatment of things like depression, um, intrusive thoughts like PTSD. It has been a, a game changer in the treatment of PTSD. And we're learning more and more about other molecules and chemicals that can help with that treatment as well, outside mm -hmm. of the kind of traditional um, uh, uh, brain drugs. Uh, and then it protect. And what we mean by protect is these receptors are found in the immune system. They're found on every organ. And this homeostatic modulation is what's keeping bodies functioning in their in their best at their best level. That's really mm. what the endocannabinoid system is all about. Um, homeostasis, modulation, protecting the system, making sure we do the things that we want to do. In the system, the endocannabinoid system, there are two primary receptors that we know of, uh, and they are cannabinoid receptor one and cannabinoid receptor two. Not very, um, not very creative, but not very um, unique <laughs> names at all. <laughs> no, we refer to them um, with shorthand as CB1 and CB2. And these receptors are found in lots of different places in the body. And we believe there are probably other receptors that cannabinoid molecules interact with um, that we that are orphan receptors. They're not part of any receptor system, although we know that endocannabinoids and phytocannabinoids and synthetic cannabinoids also interact with, for example, the vanilloid receptor system, that TRIP-V uh, that was on the, the one chart. Um, they have some, they may have some effects in the GABA um, receptor system, I mean, we know they do, uh, possibly mm -hmm. the opioid receptor system, right? So they are, they're acting, cannabinoids are acting in all kinds of places, but their primary site is in the endocannabinoid system on CB1 and CB2 receptors. CB1 receptors are primarily in the central and peripheral nervous system, and CB2 mm -hmm. are on organs and in the immune system. Those are the, um, those are the primary uh, places. So um, we, it is a system of proteins, ligands, enzyme, and receptors. Ligands are molecules that bind to receptors. So that's what that means. And then there are proteins, which are, you know, the receptors themselves are basically forms of protein. Um, enzymes that help break down the molecules um, or, or help them persist in the areas where they are so they can interact more. But there are also receptor independent actions. For example, I, I mentioned this enzyme that's responsible for, um, for breaking down molecules to start the arachidonic acid pathway, which is the COX and LOX pathways. Mm -hmm. um, and so we can, we have, we've, we see um, the endocannabinoid system having um, input into those pathways as well, which are receptor independent. They're driven by molecules and enzymes, um, not receptors. And the endocannabinoid system is um, providing inputs into those, uh, those pathways as well. And it's and so I'm, funny because like, for me, like I hear like Cox and I go Cox two receptor, That's right. like, you know, I think of like our NSAIDs and stuff like that. So it's kind of, it's kind of an interesting to like, start putting some of these things together. So. Yeah. And this it makes it I mean, easier to understand like why we do get some analgesic and stuff like that. Like it, yeah, it is such it's a potent, all... these, the, the raw forms of these molecules, the not, again, not going to get into too much chemistry, but the non decarboxylated forms of these pro these um, molecules, the ones that come from raw cannabis, unheated, mm -hmm. undried, um, you know, fresh cannabis. Mm -hmm. um, these are what we call acidic forms of the, of these molecules. And uh, they have, they are non-inebriating. You cannot get high from THCA or CBDA. You know, you can't get high from CBD anyway. But these acidic forms, these raw forms have major anti-inflammatory properties and, um, mm. and, and therefore can really contribute to analgesia, which is um, amazing. And that's, that's all crazy, in the wow. Cox pathways, which is super crazy. I mean, ultimately from this episode, I'm just learning that the plant itself is really amazing. It is. <laughs> it's complicated yeah. and interesting. And it really you know, the is. The fact that we have... We have evolved alongside this plant. It has been on the planet as long as we have probably longer. Um, and we have evolved alongside it. It has evolved with us, right? And with mammals. And so it has been, it has done its thing even without us 
messing with it, which now, of course, everybody's messing with the cannabis plant to make yeah. more molecules expressed than others and different terpene profiles. So you get different flavors and different overall effects. And yeah. um, it's endlessly fascinating. To well, me. And, it's, it really and it's crazy to me because I kind of know like a little bit of the history. It's crazy, like how demonized it is. It really, yes. yeah. Because we'll it's touch, not. We'll like, touch a little bit. Like and that's that. the thing. Like to me, I'm like, okay, cocaine's way worse than this. Yeah. Like, well, like, so, like realistically, you know like alcohol. Alcohol yes. is way more way dangerous. Worse. Yeah. Way more dangerous. And um, yet, aspirin, uh, aspirin. In fact, oh, lots right. of folks say now, if they discovered aspirin today, there is no way it would be available over the counter. It is way too powerful. Way too dangerous. We would oh, never man. just sell aspirin over the counter <laughs> but you know that's not it wasn't ever seen that way because yeah. i mean because it didn't get you high because right. it only made you because it doesn't pain. alter your mental state that's right but like you know that's right so yeah. so one of the most interesting things i think about the endocannabinoid system is um that the these molecules this system is uh one of the only retrograde neurotransmitter modulators that I am aware of. So we think of normal nervous conduction as you have an afferent nerve going out, right? Is that right? The A afferent goes out. A is away. Afferent comes in. Afferent is entering. So you have afferent (laughs) nerves coming from the central nerve from the brain, right? Down the spinal column, going out to the periphery. And then you have postsynaptic neurons in that chain, right? So you have a neuron that's firing and then you have the postsynaptic neuron that's receiving that message. And the postsynaptic neuron usually doesn't have any say in how much neurotransmitter it gets, whether it's going to fire or not. It's all going to be determined by that presynaptic neuron, right? Sending neurotransmitters into the synapse and forcing that postsynaptic neuron to fire. But what we know about the endocannabinoid system is if we have a super excitatory state or a super inflammatory state, for example, where nerves are really pushing, pushing, pushing messages like something is out of whack, Mm. that the nerves will express CB1s, cannabinoid receptor ones, on the presynaptic neurons. And the postsynaptic neurons will produce endocannabinoids to interact with those receptors to slow down the nervous transmission that's happening. And that's as far, really cool. as, so far it's, as I it's... know, these are the only molecules that we know of that act in this way. So this is like your, your feedback loop, but that's like right. at a nerve, like individual at a nerve, nerve by nerve level. at a synapse by synapse. Wow. So you can imagine Body's if cool. we provide the endocannabinoid system with more cannabinoids, with exogenous cannabinoids, that we can modulate the system as well. We don't have to rely on the body to do its job. And in fact, lots of people, animals, don't have a super healthy endocannabinoid system. And so their, mm. their endocannabinoid system isn't really able to react in the way we need it to in these times of high inflammation, high stress. So like can't seizures, keep up with the demand, seizures, like the supplies. For example. Yeah. Oh, interesting. I'm so, sure, I'm sure ugh. we'll touch on this, but like, here's my thing with veterinary medicine, right? Like veterinary medicine is clearly behind human medicine and even human <laughs> medicine is just now figuring out the whole benefits of CBD and marijuana and all that stuff. Right. But like the fact that in veterinary medicine, like technically us trying to even suggest a CBD product is taboo. And like, because there's not enough proof that it actually does anything. And I'm like, there is well, it's not even like, taboo. I think we're going to talk about that. I think okay. in the next <laughs> part two of this episode, yeah. we'll touch on that exactly it, where we are in that, yeah, in that area where vet med boards Good. are, how veterinarians feel about cannabis um and what that then leads to in terms of recommendation okay good yeah I would love to talk about that because like it it comes up right like where like for what I do we try to offer things that people can do at home to help just maintain their pet's life and do things that Mm -hmm. are healthy and in my opinion uh, just a personal opinion that like starting a pet on CBD just as a net like just like I would suggest a probiotic, right? Like just right. for day or day any, use. how about Dasequin? Do you guys yeah. recommend Dasequin? Yeah. That's a supplement, totally unregulated. There is actually 
very little to no evidence about dasequin. Don't uh, well, don't even get me started on the whole glucosamine and glucosamine thing because right, like right. there's yeah. just there's very little to... evidence to demonstrate its effectiveness, and yet and we yet sell it's it like, over the counter. We recommend it all the time, so, all the time, yeah, and yeah, there's, there's no proof that it actually does much, and the proof yeah. that's out there says it doesn't do a whole lot. Like that's so, right. it's just like yeah when we have all this proof around CBD, it, it's mind blowing. To oh me, really. yeah. Oh yeah. We're going to talk about, uh, we'll yeah. talk about it. <laughs> uh, I think this, this may be a Liz soapbox that we'll have to be like, here's multiple soapboxes. <laughs> it's the tip of the week. Uh, I would say the tip of the week for this episode would be um, to understand that we all have an endocannabinoid system and that we can do things to modulate that system to help our pets, our patients, and ourselves feel better. Yeah, I, I, it's, it's one of those things where, you know, we definitely didn't learn about cannabis anything in tech school when I went to tech school, which is like twenty years yeah. ago now. They're still not really learning about <laughs> right? it, and they're I not thinking about it toxicity. Vet, they're not learning about it in vet school either. I think yeah. it'll still and be think- easily another. 10 years before they start putting it in school like it it really has to blow up in the human world first like it can't yeah well and I think and we'll talk about this I'm sure next episode like I think it's just the logistics and legalities and stuff like that that really still surround it that are are what is inhibiting us using recommending um an appropriate therapy for certain patients. I mean, there is so much stigma attached that we have, that we have to overcome to really, um, to really allow us to ingest, to, to accept and, and, and read the research and, and to understand the system in the first place. It's funny when you think that humans are in their own way, like blocking themselves from actually benefiting from things like this. Well, because and, and, <laughs> just personal feelings on it. I'm sure we're going to talk about it next episode, but it's not just personal feelings. Like it's not. everything in humans <laughs> comes down to money. So- yes, yes, yes. It, it, <laughs> oh yes. yeah, we're gonna we're gonna talk about it. I mean, money and you know <sighs> systemic racism. Power so you know, and, good time mm-hmm. for the next uh, for the next episode. <laughs> Do um, we have to I, have a warning on the next one? No, 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 no. <laughs> And now for the question of the week. I mean, it could be a lead in to the next episode, which is what are you, is your practice currently recommending cannabis for anything? Say, how are you um, recommending? Yeah. And how? Yeah. Like yeah. how are, are you using it? Have, have you incorporated this at all into your practice? And I'm, I'm super interested. To and like, that. why and why not? Like what kind of questions yeah. would you want answered? Cause I yeah. think. I, I mean, say, I might like, have to come back for a part three. I know, yeah. right? <laughs> I will say like, I suggested it when I was still in IM, I suggested to one of our, I suggested it to my doctors because one of our patients was specifically like pretty sensitive to a bunch of medications and like, mm. eat, like just wicked GI ups on, on like gabapentin. And like, oh, it was, yeah. and so like using, I suggested CBD and his reasoning he was like, it's a really great idea. And I know that there's research coming out there. He's like, but there's not enough research. And I don't know what the legality is of me being able to prescribe that or suggest that. Those are the two most common things that we hear. And yeah. I will say on the research side, that is just not true. Go, yeah. Into yeah, pub, go to PubMed so and type in now. cannabis or CBD or whatever, um, cannabinoid you will find thousands and thousands and thousands of papers on yeah, yeah. cannabinoids. Cause so he, to say he there's did, not enough research is just not, it's well, just not true. Yeah. Cause he looked on VIN and stuff like that, but like, it just like, it was VIN is, you know, hmm. there wasn't much on there like about it. No, it was just, there's not because VIN yes. again, what you want, shall we talk about politics? <laughs> we'll do, we'll we'll do it next episode. <laughs> Anyway, before we get into oh, more so soapbox, <laughs> I am really, I'm in yeah, love with I'm these excited. episodes. I'm like, excited for the next, for the next right. episode. We'll get into the uses and, um, and the, and we'll talk about toxicity and we'll talk about legality and, and all that kind of stuff too. Yeah. So, 
next All right. Week. Well, let's, we'll wrap up this week. Um, don't worry. There is a part two. Cause I know everybody feels the way I feel and just like ready to keep talking about this. <laughs> so we are going to do a part two. Um, thank you so much for listening and we'll chat with you guys next Thanks, week. Thanks Liz for joining us. So fun. Thanks for having me. Can't wait to do it again. <laughs> All right. <laughs> we'll talk to you guys next week. Not. <laughs> Finn's like, later, guys. I know. <laughs> Bye, everybody. <laughs>Thank you for listening to today's episode of the internal medicine for vet techs podcast if you like what you heard we'd love for you to share with someone you think might enjoy the podcast and make sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode want to give us a boost please leave a review on itunes or your favorite podcatcher and we'll be sure to say thank you find out everything about us at internalmedicineforvettechs.com talk to you next week bye